Money FM 89.3, best of prime time. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Good evening, I'm Chua Tian with your Market View, and today we are going to deep dive into, well, the elephant in the room the U.S. Federal Open Market Committee's rate decision. Now, the committee has decided to raise interest rates by 75 basis points, largely priced in by the markets. And Fed Chairman Jerome Powell says a similar 50 to 70 basis point hike is on the table in July. And on that note, how are central banks around the world expected to react in the coming days and how will this affect housing loan rates, borrowing costs? Now, for more, we speak to Clara Cheong. She's the Singapore-based global market strategist at JP Morgan Asset management. Hi, Ms. Chong. Hi. Uh, Ms. Chong, to get us started, to what extent was the rate hike anticipated by the markets? No surprises this time around, I suppose. Yeah, I think, you know, the rate hike of 75 basis points was definitely anticipated, mm. especially after, you know, we saw the article uh, published on one of the media outlets on the Fed's intention to actually mm. hike 75 basis points the day before. And the fact that the price action that we saw overnight with uh, the S&P 500 and NASDAQ that uh, rising as well as the yields actually falling is testament to the fact that it was anticipated. And in fact, pricing had gotten a little bit too bearish going into the meeting. And hence, uh, it sparked a little bit of a relief rally when Chair Powell actually emphasized mm. that such large rate hikes of 75 basis points are actually not the norm uh, as they continue to watch inflation data closely. Mm, certainly. Now we see that the Bank of England's Monetary Policy Committee set to announce its decision today as well. Among other central banks, how will they react to the Fed's decision? Because we do see just now the Swiss national banks raising rates for the first time in 15 years. The Swiss national bank did hike their policy mm. rates unexpectedly by 50 basis points yeah. to negative 0.25%. And the consensus obviously was for no change. Uh, but, you know, the rates markets were pricing in a little bit of a higher probability. And, you know, on the back of the, the Swiss national bank move, uh, they, we do expect the ECB to also move uh, fairly in lockstep and hence, you know, the read across to the ECB outlook has been uh, pretty strong as well with short data euro yields up about 10 basis points or so. And then in terms of the BOE, I think it is well telegraphed and mm. expected that they will raise rates as uh, they continue to combat high inflation and their labor market still remains relatively tight. Whether it's 25 or 50 will remain to be seen. But, you know, either way, it is uh, no doubt that global developed market central banks are on a hawkish street. The only exception is really the BOJ, uh, mm. which you know has emphasized that they are going to stay dovish to continue to support the economic recovery, especially as Japan starts to emerge uh, from from the pandemic and starts to reopen its economy. Uh, and this is really you know on the back of significant yen weakness. And the BOJ has very uh, in a steadfast way stuck to their guns and insisted to keep policy dovish. So that's going to keep driving the weakness in the yen, especially against the dollar as the Fed becomes more and more hawkish and the BOJ stays extremely dovish. Hmm. So just staying on that BOJ part, are we expecting the BOJ to remain dovish, especially after, you know, this surprise hike by Swiss national banks, banks around the world? Because the officials, they have been warning of this weakening yen for quite a while. Are we expecting any change in policy, any change in mindset, perhaps? So our view at JP Morgan is that the Bank of Japan has the ability to stay 
more dovish mm. than what we're seeing in developed market central banks because the inflation situation is not as bad as what we're seeing in the U.S. or like in Europe, for example. Even though Japan is an energy importer, I think they have suffered for years under a deflationary regime. And you know, for once, uh, you know, they, they, it looks like they're able to meet their inflation target uh, for the first time in 10 years or so. So mm. we do think that the BOJ will continue to stick to their guns and stay dovish until their inflation objective is achieved. Mm, certainly. Apart from the rate hike, Ms. John, what are some other key takeaways from today's Fed meeting and perhaps why? Yeah, I think one of the biggest takeaways for me is that uh, there are no dovish people left on the committee. Uh, <laughs> given that, you know, the expectation for the rates uh, for the federal funds rate is at 3.4% as mm. per the median dot for the end of 2022, basically tells me that no FOMC members actually sees the federal funds rate lower than 3% uh, mm. by the end of this year. And I think this is a very significant change, at least from what we saw back in March. And on top of that, I think the real GDP growth numbers were also revised lower for the fourth quarter of 2022, mm. pretty significantly from 28 to 1.7%. And uh, inflation, both the headline and the core PC were also increased from 4.3 to 5.2 and 4.1 to 4.3 respectively for the end of 2022. So what these revisions actually tell me is that the Fed sees some persistent inflationary pressures, but yet they also acknowledge that there will be a slowdown in U.S. growth due to some of the headwinds from a combination of factors like a stronger dollar, mortgage rates that are surging that could help uh, cool down the housing market as well as the fiscal drag that's that's uh, going to detract from GDP growth numbers. Mm-hmm. However, given that inflation can remain elevated through summer, our expectation is that uh, the Fed can possibly hike rates by another 75 basis points in July. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, if it calms down a little bit by 50 basis points and then followed by 50 basis points in September and then 225 basis points increases in the last two meetings of the year. Mm, Ms. Jones, staying on that outlook part, right? The Fed Chairman Jerome Powell also says that uh, future rate decisions will be made meeting by meeting. So what are some key figures that you will look to for clues on their next policy move? I think inflation data is really key mm. here. Uh, hopefully, we continue to see some moderation in core goods and energy and food inflation. Hopefully, they slow down a little. Uh, and, you know, if we do see uh, some let up in inflation in these categories, I think it would really give uh, the Fed some ammunition to be less hawkish. Mm. Uh, and if we could see a peak in shelter inflation, that would really help as well. But on the other hand, if uh, inflation continues to look persistent and it continues to feed through the inflation expectations, then we think that the Fed will continue to front load the hikes, i.e. Mm. you'll see a lot more 75 basis points high, at least for the next meeting, and and maybe 50 at the September meeting, mm. just to make sure that they are really, you know, clamping down on the inflation that they're seeing and to not allow it to get entrenched into inflation expectations. Mm, certainly. Now, if you're just tuning in, we are now speaking to Clara Cheong, the Singapore-based global market strategist at JP Morgan Asset Management. So, Ms. Cheong, to what extent will these increase in interest rates around the world raise borrowing costs and loan rates, particularly in Singapore, and which type of loans will be most affected? So, in Singapore, uh, I think the main benchmark for floating mm. loan rate is the Stora, Singapore Overnight Rate Average. Generally, they do follow the U.S. rate hiking path, but it's not a one-for-one kind of move, at least you know from historical experience. 
that has generally been the case where we see U.S. rates go up and then the Singapore rates kind of track that, but not on a one-for-one basis. So to quote an example, when the Fed funds rate actually hit 2% in June 2018, the SORA and the three-month CYBOR actually reached about 1% and 1.5% respectively. So there is a little bit of a gap between what Singapore rates can deliver versus like what the U.S. rates are trading at. And then the SORA today is at about 40 base points and then the three-month CYBOR is already at close to 1.6%. So what does mm-hmm. this mean uh, for, for Singapore, Singapore households or, or uh, corporates that are based in Singapore? Higher interest rates will mean that Singapore households will come under greater burden in servicing their existing debt, especially homeowners. They might find themselves having to set aside some money to repay you know, more of like their outstanding mortgages, especially those that you know didn't refinance over the last two years and are stuck with a floating rate loan that could adjust higher. Mm. And then in terms of corporates for local businesses, we you might see increased borrowing costs or also increased in challenges in servicing existing debt, especially on commercial and industrial property loans. But, you know, it's going to vary across industries. We do have sectors that are dominated by multinational companies like manufacturing that will be less impacted because they have their own financing sources, like from their overseas headquarters, for example. But mm. construction firms, on the other hand, may be affected a little more because they rely more on local commercial bank loans. Mm. So it really depends on which sector we're talking about. And mm. I think on the margin, it will also mean that slightly less disposable income for Singapore households if they have to you know, spend a little mm. bit more servicing their mortgage every month. Mm, certainly. So Ms. Chong, talk about borrowing costs, quelling demand. Let's talk also about the possibilities of a global recession. What are the odds of slipping into a global recession and when will this probability of recession vary country mm. by country and you know just maybe sticking with the US first mm. I think post the meeting last night what we took away was that the Fed seems to be on a much more accelerated pace mm. uh, in terms of you know reiterating their commitment to fighting inflation and Chair Powell also thinks that doing too little is the bigger risk you know on the margin we think that that has increased the odds of a US recession in 2023 but not imminently between now and the end of the year. You know, in Europe, for example, we do think that over there, the chances of a recession is much higher just because of the proximity of Europe to the Russia-Ukraine conflict and how reliant Europe as an economy is on Russian energy. So the fact that the conflict is ongoing and, you know, I think over the past week, Mm -hmm. natural gas prices have actually risen by, you know, close to 70% in Euro terms. Like that, you know, will continue to put pressure on the Mm -hmm. average European household in terms of, you know, spending more of their disposable income on higher energy prices as they try to, you know, move away Mm -hmm. from consuming Russian energy into more greener sources. But that's going to take a lot of investment Mm -hmm. and it's going to take time. Mm, Certainly. So, Ms. Chong, just very one last quick question before we go. What can investors do to shelter themselves from all these uncertainties and global headwinds in the meantime? Any final advice for them? I think you asked a really good question on global recession and I talked about US and Mm -hmm. Europe, but, you know, something that I haven't talked about is Asia X Japan, right? So, this is one of the regions that we really do like, especially the equity market, given that there's a lot more targeted accommodative policies coming out of China. There's also the easing of the regulatory Mm. overhangs that has plagued the market a little bit for the past year or so. 
And I think there's been great progress made on the COVID front in terms of being able to contain the outbreak within China. And in addition to that, Asian economies within Asia, like Japan, also continue to reopen. Mm. And I think this note will lead to a strong domestic demand pickup, even as global growth is slowing. And a recovery in the services sector will also help earnings expectations, which have come down pretty significantly and are much more reasonable than before. So this combination of more attractive valuations in Asia, like Japan equities, very mm-hmm. decent and achievable earnings growth, as well as the policy tailwinds coming out of China, is really what you know some of the key reasons as to why we really like this region. Mm, certainly, thank you very much, Miss Chung. We've been speaking to Clara Chung, the Singapore-based global market strategist at J.P. Morgan Asset Management. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.